Welcome to the Winter Palace. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine. Today on the show is the awful announcing managing editor, Joe Lucia, to talk about the just-completed baseball season, our picks for the annual awards, and then an in-depth, series-by-series prediction of the baseball postseason. We follow that up with some chat about the Premier League, including his flying high Manchester City, and my struggling Everton. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Winter Palace. Baseball's postseason starts tomorrow, so we are very happy to welcome back to the show to talk about that and some other sports things, the managing editor of Awful Announcing, Joe Lucia. How's it going, Joe? Very well, Mark. Thanks for having me today. How is, uh, how is sport, uh, before we get started, I guess, how has sports viewing been living on the West Coast now? I mean, aside from having to wake up at four in the morning for certain Premier League games, uh, it's pretty good because I'm I'm generally an early riser anyway. So, getting up uh, at seven o'clock for the uh, normal ten a.m. kicks for the Premier League aren't that big of a deal. Nine a.m. college football is great. Ten a.m. NFL is perfect because everyone's at brunch. And once the one o'clock games, I mean, you still have your whole day left. It's pretty great. And then there's the baseball thing when late games really don't exist. I mean, it's seven o'clock and there's three or four games on, and that's it. It's it's going pretty well so far. I can't really complain about much of the sports out here. It's funny. It's like uh, I'm a fan mostly of. Uh, Midwest and West Coast teams, but I'm, you know, here in the Mid-Atlantic, but I work nights, and so I'm usually up, you know, and I can keep an eye on, like, what the Padres are doing or what the Giants are doing from here, because I'm up. It's, yeah, it's just, it's the days when, uh, and then when I get home on the weekends, it's just in time for, like, the early Premier League games to start, so I usually just, like, turn whatever the early game is on, go to bed, sort of doze in and out, wake up, usually in time for, like, the noon game to start, and then I'll, like, find out what uh, what happened while I was asleep and then watch him later. So, it's sort of, a, it's, it's, it's funny, I'm time-shifted in a good way, but differently than you, but I guess it all works out for in the end. Yeah, the, the bad thing about the time shift out here is, like, when you wake up during the week, I mean, you wake up at 7, 7.30 in the morning or whatever, the news cycle is already well underway, so you have to catch up on a whole bunch of things. Like, like this morning when we woke up, there was so much chaos already going on, and it feels like you're just chasing everything all day, and your day just can't really settle down it's uh i i kind of miss those mornings that are a little slow with nothing going on before things start getting ratcheted up yeah it's funny it's like if i'm watching twitter like while i'm at work i steadily watch and then i watch i i can watch the west coast people go to bed just about the same time the people that i know in the uk are getting up so i almost never have a down cycle because there's always somebody on which is right, right. Which is which is it's just fun, you know, being in that that time frame. Anyway, uh, we are 
taping this the Monday after the regular season ended yesterday. The playoffs start tomorrow. Normally, this would be a Black Monday where we see uh, people start getting fired. But so far, the only person uh, today that's been fired hasn't been a manager. It's been the Braves general manager. And since uh, since that's your team, why don't you tell us about the mess that is going on in Atlanta? I mean, it really caught everyone off guard because no one expected this. The thing we were all thinking of coming into today was a decision on Brian Snedker because they had a club option on him for 2018. They still have to exercise or decline. No, Everyone kind of knew that was going to be the one big thing. No one expected the GM, John Coppola, to get fired or resign, which is what happened today. And it was apparently unrelated to his performance, the team's performance. There's apparently an MLB investigation related to something regarding international uh, signing rules, which we don't know the details of this investigation yet. Everything is still quite preliminary, and uh, it really apparently just got ratcheted up over the weekend and uh, pretty much forced him to resign over the last uh, 48, 72 hours. It went just from like a little mild thing nobody was even thinking of to, oh man, now the Braves need to search for a general manager in addition to making a decision on their manager that hasn't inspired any confidence and deal with all these young prospects they have. It's just another added wrench into an offseason that was already going to be quite pivotal. Uh, Who do you you think will probably – who do you think is likely to get the axe in the offseason? Oh, man. In terms of managers, I mean, I really don't see that many guys. I mean – Terry Collins has already confirmed he's not coming back. The Phillies uh, moved Pete McCannon upstairs out of the dugout. With uh, Copalella's firing, I think the Braves are going to uh, keep Snitker around because he was kind of uh, – him and Copalella really did not get along. And uh, that he, the continued employment of Copalella pretty much would have meant that Snitker would have been uh, – would have been canned, but now that that didn't happen, John Charles, Bobby Cox still sticking around. They're probably going to stay with their guy, which makes me a little bit sad, but what can you do? And and in terms of other managers, I I mean, the Giants aren't going to let Bruce Boshi go. The Padres aren't going to make a change. Like a lot of these teams, they've just made changes in recent years, so they're not going to already go into another direction. So so I think we're pretty safe in terms of – hirings and firings based on what we've seen so far but one name i would want to keep in mind if the red sox have another postseason exit i would not be surprised if john farrell got the axe because that team for as much money as they've spent and how high expectations are he has really just put together a disappointing last few years in charge there the thing that i noticed the other when i was just hadn't be looking at the standings you know going down the last week of the season i realized that and I don't know when the last time this happened, but there were no 100-loss teams this year. I mean, there were, there were a handful of really bad teams. I mean, Detroit and Chicago and the, the Giants and the Phillies, but all of them managed to stay above 100 losses, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, we had kind of reached this point in recent years where there weren't any 100-win teams, but there were one, two, three, sometimes even 400-loss teams. Now that's kind of shifted. I think we had four 100-win uh, teams this year. Not one team got to 100 losses. 
But that doesn't really mean the league was good because in the American League, there were only five teams above 500 and they all made the playoffs. The National League, they had uh, seven above 500 teams. Of course, five of them made the playoffs, two of them didn't. So there was a lot of like just kind of mediocre teams out there and only a few that were really wretched. Well, it's funny that I know, I listen to a lot of Toronto radio and it's funny that I didn't I haven't listened to their postmortem stuff today, but you know, they somehow escaped the basement on the very last day of the season to keep from having like a complete wire to wire last place season. And it's like, you know, they weren't, it's like, were they really like as bad as they're like, it seems like they were one of the many teams that just had, there were lots of injuries this year. They had, you know, Last year they had they used like seven starting pitchers the entire year. I think this year somebody said they had fifteen, and all and all these other things. And you look across the league, plenty of pitchers being injured. You know, and, and you know some of them managed to overcome it. I mean, certainly you know the the Dodgers managed to go on that crazy winning streak before their crazy losing streak. You know, w- you know with Kershaw missing all that time, but it, I mean. Is in, would you say injuries has been one of the stories of the season? I mean, I guess you could say it every year, but it seems that injuries could be a story of the season this year, especially with all the stuff involving the balls and pitcher blisters. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of injuries, and we saw a lot of injuries to superstar players, too. I mean, Mike Trout missed six weeks. Uh, Carlos Correa missed time. Those are guys that you're looking for, guys that could be future, like, faces of the game, and this year, they're missing in action for a uh, fair chunk of the season. Thankfully, Giancarlo Stanton, finally, the first time in his career, he like stayed healthy, played a full season, and what a shock. He hit, what was it, 59, 58 home runs. He was incredible. But the pitching uh, injuries, as you mentioned, I mean, there were so many of them. Dallas Keuchel, Lance McCullers. This is a team that in the Astros that just kind of blitzkrieged through that AL West. They didn't have a fully healthy rotation all season. Imagine what they would have done if they had those two guys each make 30 starts. And that's why I think going into the playoffs, a team like uh, Cleveland, who's pretty much, they've, they've dealt with injuries. They haven't really dealt with any serious injuries. It's only been just a little bit here and a little bit there. I think they're positioned really well because they've had this team that's been pretty healthy all season. And they look like they're just going to roll. Yeah, we'll get to the, the postseason stuff in a second. Uh, the other thing, but yeah, talking about durability, I was looking at sort of like the season-ending stats, and I think there were only five players in baseball that played 160 games this year. Now, I mean, admittedly, guys are rested more than, than they used to be, but it still seems like only five out of, you know, six, 700 players. That's quite a lot. Yeah, that's, that is... Man, I would have expected more guys than just five who played every game because, you know, there are some guys that they're, they're always in the lineup every day. They're always there. They're always dependable. But I guess with so many teams this year being just mediocre and not good, they're going in another direction, letting some younger kids play more. And I, I really can't fault them for that, but I still would like to see some of these guys play every day. And, uh, just just put in the full schedule because, I mean, Adrian Beltre had that, that long consecutive game streak uh, a few years ago, and he's the only guy that seemingly was playing every day for a couple of seasons in a row. Everyone else, I mean, 
you really talk about the Rifkin record never being broken. I mean, look at it now. No one's going to even come close. Yeah, it's Escobar, Galvis, Hosmer, Odor, and Joey Votto. Those are the only five guys to play 162 games. Now, admittedly, there are... How different those four players, or those five players are. You have Joey Votto, who's one of the absolute best hitters in baseball. Escobar and Odor, who are very wretched, terrible, not great hitters, but yet Odor had, I believe, 30 homers. Uh, Galvis, who's not much of a hitter either, either. and then Eric Cosmer, who's going to be a free agent this offseason. You'd think they would have uh, rested him a little more, but I guess not. Ian, you look at, uh, like, down slightly from that list, it's like Marcakis and Shoup, 160, Arenado, 159, Bell, 159, Blackman and Lindor, 159, Ozuna and Stanton, 159. That's it. Like I'm, I'm more just shocked that Nick Markakis actually stayed healthy all season and and didn't get benched at all. I mean, I know Snitker loved the guy, but he was just, he was just not a good hitter for a corner outfielder. And I really think that the Braves should have just given him more time off as the year went on. But considering that uh, Matt Kemp was dealing with his usual batch of injuries, I guess that wasn't really possible to rest both corner outfielders. Yeah, uh, before we get to the postseason stuff, I guess I'll just throw out the uh, the big awards and just get your, get your flash opinion on these. Uh, American League, Cy Young would presumably be between uh, Kluber and oh, uh, Chris Sale. But Sale, Sale tailed off at the end of the season, so you think it's probably going to be Kluber? I think it's going to be Kluber because you look at like almost all of the categories. Kluber's got like non-significant edges in them. Kluber's just been better over the course of the full season. And it looked like over the first two months and into the first half that Sale was going to run away with it. But he just kind of, he just kind of plateaued. It's not like he pitched dramatically worse. He was just kind of fine while Kluber just took off. And the, and the narratives with him, too, as the Indians went on that incredible run, he was a big part of that. And, I mean, he's got past pedigree, too. He's a prior winner. He did so much for this team before. I, it, I think it's going to be Kluber. I would not be shocked if uh, he won it by a pretty large margin as well. It's funny. There was that point a couple of weeks ago when after Sale got his 300th win or 300th strikeout, People start saying, oh, this locks up the Cy Young for him because nobody thought this was going to be done ever again and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait, weren't, wasn't everybody just giving this to Kluver like two weeks ago? And then now that he had that horrible end of the season, yeah, I agree. I think it's it's going to be Kluver. In the National League, you know, I guess you've got Kershaw and you've got Scherzer. I mean, they lead – one of them leads in almost all of the pitching categories – Kershaw had the ERA title, had the most wins. Scherzer had the most strikeouts and the lowest whip and the lowest batting average you get. So is it is that six of one, half dozen the other because they're both playoff teams? I think it's going to go to Scherzer just because he threw so many more innings than Kershaw. Kershaw missed a significant chunk of time. And while Scherzer did also spend some time on the DL, it was only, I believe, two weeks or so. He didn't miss, he didn't miss more than two or three starts, so he still came back and – through his truckload of innings, which we're used to every year. And in the National League, there really aren't that many uh, contenders. And 
I think with Kershaw, the bar is set so high that when he when he doesn't throw 200 innings, I think that people kind of maybe look at that with a different lens based on what we've seen from him in prior years. National League uh, MVP, even though you know they finished far out of the race, is it Stanton on the on his sheer volume of numbers, or do you pick? You know, I mean, Harper missed a lot of time, so you probably he's probably not going to get it. You know, the Dodgers really didn't have a standout offensive player. There's Goldschmidt. Some people think J.D. Martinez can get votes for the time, for the limited time he spent in Arizona based on all the home runs he hit. But Stanton, you know, 59 home runs, 132 RBIs, and, you know, a 631 slugging percentage. I don't like doing the whole it has to be from a guy from a playoff team or whatever. But you look at all like the playoff teams and really none of them had that one dominant performer. I mean, Chris Bryant had a great year for the Cubs that wasn't too far off from last season, but but it kind of felt like that fell under the radar again. He wasn't carrying the team and dragging them at points like he was last season. The Diamondbacks had Paul Goldschmidt and I believe he was actually my midseason pick for the NL MVP, but he really just didn't take the reins for that team. And uh, J.D. Martinez gave him a lot of help going forward. And they had a great pitching staff with Zach Greinke and Robbie Ray. Uh, the Dodgers didn't have that one dominant player. They had just a bunch of really good players, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, none of them really an MVP, but all guys that no one is going to turn down from their team. And then you mentioned the Nationals. Ryan Zimmerman had that great start to the year and then just kind of plateaued a bit. Uh, Harper was fantastic when he was healthy, but he missed so much time that I don't think you could really give him the award. And that, that brings everyone back to Stanton because he was the best hitter in the league. He almost reached a magic number in terms of home runs. He was fully healthy, which for him is a big deal. And again, the narrative is so far behind him with everything he's done this year. The NL MVP award is one I think that's it, out of the uh, six major awards. It's the one that is completely wide open right now. But I think Stanton, everyone is is kind of getting behind him to win it. So I think uh, I think next month when the results are announced, I think it's going to be Stanton. I also, I mean, I don't think he'd win, but I also think Charlie Blackman will get a lot of votes too. Yeah, that's another guy I was thinking of. He. He has been a really good player for the last three or four years from that Rockies team, and he actually had a better offensive year in all three triple slash categories than Nolan Arenado, which I don't think anyone would have projected coming into the season. Fantastic year, really great player. Yeah, looking at these, I didn't realize that Blackman led the league in hits, and he also had 14 triples, you know, which is... I mean, I don't know, how, you know, I'd have to look and see how many of those were in Colorado and how many weren't, but still, I think 14 triples is 14 triples. Sure. I mean, the Rockies outfield there is so big that it ends up allowing a lot more triples just because of the sheer size of it. And it's kind of the same way in Arizona as well. They have that really deep center field, so uh, and it's got weird angles, and there can be more triples there too. And Blackman plays, uh, I believe, nine or ten games a year in uh, Phoenix too, so that helps him a lot. And the the home road splits for him, I mean, they are extreme, but he's still, I think, like an 850, 900 OPS hitter on the road, which is nothing to sneeze at. 
And American League MVP, um, I guess the cliche thing is to always say, you know, Mike Trout could win every year, but, you know, he missed all that time. And you've got Jose Altuve, you know, playing for one of the two best teams in the league. And, you know, to do what he does is his size is just so amazing that, again, he's a good story. Yeah, he really is, but the name you didn't mention that I think is going to win, even though it didn't look like he was going to win in August or so, it looked like the tie to turn out too, but but Aaron Judge had a fantastic end of the season for the Yankees, set the rookie home run record, a fantastic hitter. I, I think it's going to be Judge. Judge, I pr- I probably would go with Altuve, but I think it's going to end up being Judge just because everything he's done, plus the fact that he's a Yankee, I think it's going to be a really close vote, but I think ultimately it's going to go to Aaron Judge. Okay, so let's move on to the playoffs. Uh, first up tomorrow is the Twins and the Yankees. Historically, New York has owned Minnesota badly in the last you know, 10, 15 years. I know Posnanski wrote about that the other day. But, you know, with with Severino pitching in Yankee Stadium, is this pretty much a guarantee tomorrow, probably? I wouldn't say it's a guarantee. I mean, it's one game. Anything can happen. I unfortunately remember the uh, wild card game between the Braves and Cardinals where Atlanta had Chris Medlin on the mound. He was the hottest pitcher in baseball and looked like nobody could beat him. And then the Cardinals beat him thanks to some shoddy umpiring. But then you see situations where Madison Bumgarner comes out and is just completely untouchable for, and, and nobody is getting by that. If Severino goes on one of his runs and the Yankees have a lead through five innings, I think it's over with that lockdown and bullpen. But you never know if the Twins can just keep it close. Maybe a 2-2, 3-3 game heading into the late innings. I mean, you never know. Something crazy can happen. But I do think the Yankees will win. I think they're they're too good right now. They're too healthy. They have too many weapons for the Twins. Minnesota was a little healthier. Maybe I could see them taking it, but I really can't at this point in time. And that brings us to Wednesday with Colorado playing in Arizona, and you've got John Gray versus Zach Grinke. I mean, Arizona Arizona is, is people's chic pick in the playoffs in the National League. Um, you know, Grinke was 17 and seven with a 3.2 ERA this year. Um, again, I'd say this is a much more, a much closer matchup, but I still would think Arizona is probably going to win. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, the Diamondbacks are going to take this one. But Zach Grinke does have meltdown potential, especially against uh, an incredible offense like the Rockies have. I mean, if they get into a situation where they're just rocking Grinke. I mean, you might want to have a quick hook on him and, and get him out of the game before it gets too pear-shaped because that Rockies offense, they could put runs on the board pretty quickly, and you don't want to get down like 5-6-1 or 5 6 nothing in a playoff game early on because then, then it's just a matter of counting out. So you can't throw outs away. 
And I know the Diamondbacks, they can score runs too with Martinez and Goldschmidt and everyone else on that incredible offense. But, man, it could just turn into a situation where Greinke gets out there, gets rocked, the Rockies have the confidence going, and it's just like, what was it, 2007 when they won the NL pennant, just rolling through the league with that, that whole Rocktober thing. That being said, I think the Diamondbacks are a better team. I think the Diamondbacks have the advantage in the starting pitching matchup, and that's why I think the Diamondbacks are going to win this game, even after all those really nice things I said about the Rockies. So that would take us to the first round, and that means it will be Arizona versus the Dodgers. Um, you know, if you depending on how you feel about recency bias, Arizona beat beat the Dodgers six times during the Dodgers' losing streak. So, you know, does that mean anything if they're playing each other in the playoffs? I don't think it necessarily means anything. It might give them a little more confidence when they're going up against these Dodgers pitchers and these Dodgers hitters. They know what's coming. They know what to do. But then again, I mean, even though the Dodgers were so terrible over the last six weeks of the season, I mean, they were just kind of going on cruise control. They already had everything locked up. But you look at this Diamondbacks team and how dangerous it is and how hot they are right now. I think they're going to win this series. I think they're going to they're going to rough Clayton Kershaw up once, maybe twice. I think the Dodgers aren't going to get acceptable starts from the guys they have starting games two and three. And I think Arizona is going to win the series in four. I also picked Arizona. I didn't have to pick the amount of games, but I did. I, I you know I'm I am on the I am on that bandwagon that. Yeah, you know, you just look how hot they were, and yeah, yeah. Assuming assuming Grinky stays focused, you know, I I to 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 tip my pitch, you know, I have them going to the World Series because because I well I I guess it all depends on well we'll get to it in a second, but I think it depends on Washington's health. So uh, jumping there, the, the Nationals play the Cubs. Um, I guess it all depends on, I think a lot of it depends on how healthy Max Scherzer is and how help, how healthy Bryce Harper is. That's, that's really the key. I mean, if Scherzer, if they, if they win, I want to say the first game of the series without Scherzer on the mound, that's huge for the Nationals. They, then they can get creative. Then they don't need to rush, rush, rush Scherzer back. Well, that's a complicated sentence. Uh, and if they win that first game, they have so many more options than if they lose that first game. Dusty Baker will probably be feeling it a little bit. He'll want to start Scherzer game two, whether he's ready or not. And if he's not ready and he just falls apart, I mean, then the series is lost right there, essentially, because you can't roll Scherzer back out again in any of the last three games. And that's really going to be that. I think Washington is going to win the first game. I do not like the Cubs starting pitching right now. John Lester has been struggling. Jake Arrieta has been up and down this year. And I don't think Kyle Hendricks is the type of guy that can really succeed in the playoffs. He's too much of a soft tosser for me. He really needs a favorable strike zone from the umpires. And I'm not sure he's really going to get that right away. And then you have Jose Quintana, who obviously fantastic pitcher. He's relatively untested on a big stage. I'm not sure if he really is uh, going to be up to the task. I think the Nationals 
are too good of an offense. They have too good of a pitching staff. Remember how they had those bullpen struggles earlier in the year? Then they bring in Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle, and oh, all the bullpen struggles kind of disappeared. I, I think they're really kind of put together to succeed in the playoffs right now. I think this is arguably their best team in the last five years when everybody is healthy and clicking. And this is without Adam Eaton all season. I do think this is going to be the year the Nationals finally get over that hump and take a playoff series, Washington and four. I agree. I agree with the Nationals winning. I don't know. Again, I didn't have to pick the pick number of games, and I think, you know, while the Cubs, you know, did manage to finally turn it on, I just think, you know, whether it's the hangover from last year or just being lethargic or what, but I agree, especially if people are healthy, I think Washington should win fairly easily, which then brings us to Washington versus Arizona. Uh, like I said before, I picked, I picked Arizona, again, that may depend on – Washington's health really I think I think that's really a toss-up it probably it might come down to the pitching matchups you know both teams have you know good starters and it just depends on how they end up pitching who pitches against who maybe yeah I mean it'll be a battle of matchups when it uh when it all comes down to it but I mean if you're if you're giving me four starts of Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg in a seven game series, I really like my chances, especially when the number three starter is Gio Gonzalez, who has had a really good year that's kind of fallen under the radar. Probably the best season of his career. He's been fantastic. Washington was actually my preseason pick in the National League. I'm sticking with them because how often is it where your preseason pick actually makes the playoffs and looks really good? So I'm taking the Nationals. I'm going to say uh, say Washington in five. I don't think this is going to be a long series. I think uh, I think if Scherzer's healthy, their horses are just going to come to party, and it's, uh, it's going to be not a great time for the Diamondbacks. Cool. Uh, over the American League uh... – Boston and Houston is certainly intriguing. I agree with sort of what you said earlier that Boston is really sort of eked in um, with you know up and down pitching. You know what? You know this sort of David Price in the Andrew Miller role is sort of intriguing, but I think Houston just has too much, especially given how Verlander has pitched since he got traded there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Verlander at the top of your rotation, that's nothing to sneeze at, especially with uh, Dallas Keuchel following him up. That is that is nasty for any team. Boston just has not looked good lately. I know they have a lot of playoff experience, but a lot of those heroes are gone. David Ortiz is not there anymore. Uh, even John Lester, Clay Buckholz, Jonathan Papelbon, guys that have been through those wars, they're not there anymore. They need this uh, this new breed of guys like Xander Bogarts and Rick Porcello and uh, Mookie Betts. They need them to come through. Last year against the Indians, those guys didn't show up. Uh, I don't think they're going to show up again this year. Houston is doing everything right right now. They kind of, they kind of fell off a little bit in August, but have looked really good in September and are kind of going to the playoffs on a high note. I'm picking Houston in a sweep of the Red Sox. And that leaves the last divisional series is, uh, we'll say the Yankees against Cleveland. Again, Cleveland has been, 
I guess on fire doesn't really even cover when you win 20 games plus in a row. But, you know, unless, you know, New York goes homer crazy, you know, I would sense a fairly pedestrian win for Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're going to sweep. I think the Indians are just going to roll right over the Yankees, especially since New York's only going to be getting one start from Luis Severino. I don't really like Masahiro Tanaka, even though he had that fantastic uh, start to close out the season. I think he's, uh, I think he's very much hot and cold, and uh, I just think there's a situation we could see here where Cleveland just bludgeons the Yankees and makes this look like an embarrassing matchup of a series. Indians in a sweep. They are, their offense is too good. Bullpen is too good, which saying how good the Yankees bullpen is, that's saying something. And their rotation is so much better than the Yankees that it's a, it should be easy pickings for them. Which brings us to what could easily be one of the best playoff series in years, Houston versus Cleveland. Man, who would have ever imagined that sentence? Houston versus Cleveland for supremacy in the American League. And I, I think it's going to be really fun, but I think, like I was saying about the Indians, they're they're just they're the better team. They're so good in so many areas of the game. Whereas you look at the Astros, and they're really good too. But every area you look at, they're worse off than the Indians, unless unless they just get a lot of breaks in this series. I really can't see a way where the Indians fail to win this series. I'm going to say. Uh, I say the Indians win it in five. Yeah, I I picked Cleveland too, which brings us to the series where I have Cleveland versus Arizona. You have Cleveland versus Washington. I have Cleveland winning. I have a feeling you probably have Cleveland winning too. I do. My preseason World Series pick was Indians over Nationals. Six months later, my World Series pick is still Indians over Nationals. I'm very happy that actually came together because in so many other years I've had playoff predictions that have looked so so bad but this one right now looks really good but like i was mentioning with the indians astros series cleveland's just better across the board and they'll have home field advantage uh what's it called now progressive field will be rocking i still call it the jake it's going to be rocking and i think after uh, after the scars of last year i think uh, i think indians are going to win the world series this year i agree uh, so, uh, before we go, I want to, uh, quickly do some, some Premier League chat with you. I know the other night when we were talking on Twitter, when you found out about, uh, Sergio Aguero's, uh, broken ribs, you were, you were not a happy camper, but somehow, you know, Pep put together a master class of tactical strategy and they beat Chelsea over the weekend at Stanford Bridge. It's funny, I actually had, like, a lot to do uh, Saturday morning. Like, there was one TSA pre-check appointment for, like, the next two weeks, and it happened to be in the middle of the match. So I'm like, oh, well, well, it's near halftime, so hopefully I won't miss too much. Got my appointment done. Came back to my apartment just in time to see the fantastic Kevin De Bruyne goal to give City the lead and eventually the win. The way they're playing right now, it's... It's incredible because they really haven't been slowed down aside from like 20 minutes in the West Brom League Cup match with uh, 
C team lineup out there. They are just steamrolling everybody in their way. And I mean, the only drop points all year were the second match of the season against Everton after a awful red card on Kyle Walker. They're, they're doing everything they need to do. It's Pep Guardiola football at its finest. If they stay healthy, they're going to win the league. They may win one of the cups. And depending on what the draw looks like, assuming they get out of the group, which right now is look like a fait accompli, but assuming they uh, get out of the group and get a favorable matchup in the uh, Champions League round of 16, they could win Champions League too. I know a lot of the draws are based on dumb luck and how things fall, but the way things are going right now, it, it's a good time to be a Man City fan. And even over the next three or four weeks when Aguero might be out, there's no real difficult games until the Napoli Champions League game. And even then, the first one's at home. So it's not that big of a deal. There's no real test the Premier League again until uh, the middle of November when they play Arsenal. The League Cup, they got Wolves at home. It's a schedule that is just so favorable right now that is just going to set them up to keep rolling teams. And because it's against these weaker sides, they can rotate some more players in and some regular starters out to keep everyone fresh. And everything's going all according to plan so far, and I'm kind of terrified. Well, I mean, if I were a City fan, the thing that I think would that I would be worried about is they had a really good start last year when, you know, right about this time last year, everybody was handing them everything because of how well they were playing. And then, you know, the wheels kind of fell apart. So, I mean, I think they're a better team this year. Certainly they're, they're certainly better defensively, but you know, there's I no, would, there's no Claudio Bravo in that every day, which I mean, that alone puts them on another level compared to last year. I'm a bit worried about left back because the one left back on the roster was Benjamin Mendy. He tore his ACL. He's, they say he's going to be out till April, but I'm a realist. I realize he's probably going to not play again this season. They're using Fabian Delph there, and he's been great through, I believe, two or three matches somehow, some way. I know last season we got off to the incredible start as well, but even though they were winning games, they weren't completely steamrolling teams like they are this year. They weren't beating the crap out of teams like Watford and Palace and even Liverpool, even though there's a red card in that game, they beat the tar out of Liverpool in that second half. They weren't doing that last season. They were, yeah, they were winning games, but they weren't completely dominating and picking apart teams like they are this year. It's you know, the Premier League is certainly built on narrative and certainly having United and City be one, two, only separated by goal difference right now, you know, I'm sure has got them salivating for how this is going to go. I mean, I mean, we're still relative, so relatively early, but, you know, if they have United City fighting in Chelsea and Tottenham just a step behind them, that's that's a, a heck of a horse race for them to have this year. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what they want. And the first Manchester Derby is until is until December, so they have another they have another two months to build this up and keep everything going. And and maybe you know maybe one week City only wins two one, and United wins four nil, and then the goal difference swaps, and the next week it swaps back. We could be in a situation where going into that first Derby, well, a little before Christmas and New Year's, could be in a situation where these two teams are head and shoulders above everyone else. 
and we're going to be looking at each other's results for the rest of the season. Everything's going to be flipping back and forth depending on what happens when one team has the early game and one team plays on Monday. It's really set up to be a season where these two teams are just at it the whole season. And it's going to be incredibly stressful over the next, what, seven months or so. But uh, hopefully I survive it. And then, and presumably the the longer they stay at the top, you know, the more the temptation to start, for people to start playing the Jose versus Pep cards. You know, you know, you know that's going to start, you know, dominating things too, especially once we get closer to the Derby. Oh, yeah, I know. And last year they were trying to do it, but both of them kind of, uh, they they kind of dialed it back a little bit last season. And they played three times last season. The results were 1-1-1. United's win came in the League Cup, which really cares about the League Cup in October. I mean, this season we're getting ready to do the same thing all over again with United in the Champions League as well and both cups. Man, it, the narrative between these two teams is going to just be going all season. Meanwhile, I unfortunately have to wonder just what is wrong with my team and why are they at the bottom when they have, you know, they spent all of this money and it's like, you know, they they sign all these guys to play in the same positions and it's like, you know, he's, you know, he's, he isn't using all the young guys that, you know, helped push us up the table at the end of the season last year. And it's like, the fact that like, they're already talking about how many games he has to save his job. But I'm like, you know, the schedule makers, I mean, I admit we're playing badly, but I think it's certainly no fun to have to play city United Arsenal and Chelsea and, and Spurs like in your, in five of your first six games, you know, it's just like, you know, but oh, it's like in a you, way, I in a way, I think that performance against City, where they came away with a point, even though, even though arguably in the second half they were thoroughly played off the pitch. But but I digress. In a way, I think getting that point and playing the way they did, I think. I think you could argue that was a bad thing because you know it forced forced Kuman to change everything and kind of made people think, hey, they get they got a point at Man City in the second week of the season. Maybe they're not going to be maybe they're maybe this is it. Maybe this is the year they break through the top 6 and they displace Arsenal and all this and now it's just not worked out like that at all for them and they're just kind of reverting into the previous form that they had with these older, slower players that not being able to get anything done and I did not expect this. I, I mean, I was one of the people who had them in the top six coming into this season, and I just did not see this kind of start to the year really happening. It's like, I hate to say this, but us getting bounced out of the Europa League may not be such a bad thing because that just means less wear and tear and playing less games, and if it's Kuman or Kuman gets replaced, whoever the manager is, you know, to have the week to prepare. I mean, I I realistically don't think we're going to be in any sort of relegation danger. But, you know, this could be like the year with Martinez where we finished like 13th, 14th, whatever that was, the year he got fired. 
But it looked, yeah, it's like, I mean, I wasn't in favor of signing Rooney, and then, you know, like the first two weeks, it's like, hey, he's energized and he's scoring goals, and maybe I was wrong. Now it looks like I may have been right after all. I mean, I was I was happy. I mean, I always liked Gilfie, so I was happy they signed Gilfie, but, you know, he, you know, he's not really working out so far. I just think they need to play more of the, the youngsters with pace. Yeah, exactly. That's what they need to do. They, uh, it, they just do not look like a fast team now. They look old and slow, and with so many fast, pacey wingers in the Premier League, you can't be old and slow. Yeah, so is I don't know if it was – I guess it was last year. It was like we had a fairly decent start, and it was like – you know, we got our 40 points early, and then it was like, I'm one of those people, it's like 40 points, and then we'll see where we go from here. And, you know, it's seven points in seven weeks is not, uh, that's not a good pace. It's, it's not ideal, but, I mean, I guess on the bright side, there's a lot of teams in that kind of bucket right now. I mean, it's it's not like... It's not like you're third from the bottom in that huge cluster at the bottom because Palace and Bournemouth have looked absolutely terrible so far. And then a lot of the other mid-table sides, they, they have not looked great at times. I mean, Watford's been up and down. Stoke has been middling. West Ham's been bad. West Brom has been West Brom. They'll eventually get through it, but I think that's the one saving grace right now that – they're not buried too far quite yet. Well, I know when I made when I made my preseason predictions. I mean, I think I picked I picked Brighton as the only promoted team. I think to go back down because I think Huddersfield has enough to stay up, and yeah, I, I think, think they do. And I think Newcastle has certainly been, you know, much better than I thought they were going to be so far. So it's like you know. You know, I don't know if uh, – I don't think Palace has dug a hole they can't dig out of yet, but I think they're – but I think it's close. I think the fact they haven't scored a goal yet, I mean, in addition to, like, dropping points, I mean, there's, like, literally nothing to celebrate. The, uh, if you're, like, losing, you know, 3-2, 4-3, you can at least, like, pull positives from it, but you're just getting shut out every time you go out there. What can you really say? Hey, we only allowed one goal today, but oh, still lost. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, you know, they're without their three best players right now, and that doesn't help. And you know, and it, and it didn't do any, it didn't do Roy any favors to have like City, United, Chelsea as his first three games as manager. So I think he can, you know, I think he can get them stabilized. But I just wonder if you figure they've. You know, they've only got 33 games to get 40 points-ish. You know, that's not good. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if you ask me, like, a shock team, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if West Ham gets dragged down into the the relegation dogfight. You know, especially, I mean, depending on how long they stay with Billich. And again, I like to see, you know, I like Bournemouth, so I don't want to see them necessarily get relegated. Yeah, I agree. With, I agree with you on both points, actually. I, I really love Bournemouth. The great story. I like Eddie Howe, great young coach, young team. I want to see those guys stay up, but 
they have not looked good. They cannot defend. It's it's not great. And as for West Ham, I mean, they signed a couple of guys and Joe Hart and Pablo Zabaleta who Lord love them, but I mean, they're they're pretty well toasted and they want Zabaleta to play fullback every week and Hart was really bad last year for Torino. He had that terrible Euro spell over the summer, two summers ago. Uh, I don't see how they count on those guys as people that could, you know, take them up. And I, I like Chicharito. I think he's a great player, but I don't know if he's a good fit for that team. They're, they're just kind of rudderless right now. I don't think they have an identity. They're, they're, and I mean, we saw this last year with the London Stadium. The atmosphere sucks there. They don't, they don't have a playmaker. There's so much wrong with that team, and I would not be surprised, like you said, if they get taken down. But, like you said, it's, I mean, it's only the 2nd of October, and the Premier League will have so many twists and turns, you know, it's like, who knows, it's, I mean, see what you want about, you know, if the quality of the English League isn't as good as Spain or maybe Germany, but it certainly excels at narrative and soap opera. Oh, yeah, there's so much going on. I mean, you look at a team like Burnley, who... Last year, they couldn't buy a point on the road, and this year, they've already got more points on the road than they did all last season, which it's incredible to think of. I mean, if they just, you know, take their home points from last year, they'll have already clinched relegation, or not uh, staying up. Oh, man. There's so much going on this season in the Premier League. It's it's awesome. I, uh, I really missed it over the summer. You You don't get that with baseball and considering there were really no major international tournaments it was i was really kind of uh, really craving that cr- absolutely crazy uh soccer season again well joe i want to thank you for again doing the show and as we said uh you're at awful announcing and at the comeback um is there any place else people can find your work uh you can uh follow my twitter ramblings at joe underscore toc I've been going on kind of a bender today about the uh, Braves uh, front office drama. And, uh, yeah, that's that's really about all for me. I've kind of kind of tried to get all my stuff consolidated so I'm not writing at 12 different places anymore. Cool. People can check that out. And we will uh, be following the playoffs starting tomorrow. And thank you once again for doing the show. And we will talk to everybody next time.